please join your hearts with mine in prayer. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak. For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Elizabeth commented earlier in the service that this weekend is Nakomi weekend for Idlewild, which is why a lot of people are roughing it in the woods right now. And something that I think a lot of us can relate to is going to summer camp. Um, but it's very possible that you might not relate to that since you're here and not in the woods with everyone else in Nakomi. I was watching a Graham Norton interview the other day and a celebrity guest who was Lynn manuel Miranda was reading his letters that he sent to his parents from camp. I'm sure you're familiar with the idea. For a lot of kids or teens, camp can be the first time that they're spending away from home for any significant period of time. So this celebrity did what many kids do when they're unhappy at camp. They write their parents on day two to see if they'll come and pick them up. For those of you who don't know, Lin-Manuel Miranda is the creative genius behind the Broadway hits of Hamilton and In the Heights. It should then come as no surprise that he has a bit of flair for drama. So here are some excerpts from his letters. One letter, which is on the stationery adorned with Garfield the cat, reads, Dear Mom and Dad, Please come and take me back to New York, away from this hole. The electricity is malfunctioning. The septic tank is rupturing. The insect repellent is not working. Love, Lynn. Another one starts, hi, remember me? I'm the kid you ditched in the woods for a month. You know how we hardly go to mass? Now I go every Sunday. Here's a picture to remind you of me. Below is a sketch of a kid jumping off a building. <laughs> I assume that Lynn's parents are a lot like a lot of folks who write their kid back with the devastating and heartbreaking news that no, they will not be coming to pick you them up from the hole. Instead, you probably should stick it out and commit to trying something new, maybe even stretch yourself. Those parents are right. Most of the time, kids get distracted with all the activities of camp, and the letter that they wrote on day two becomes a distant memory. Just as Lynn's parents would have responded to him, the prophet Jeremiah writes to the people of Israel while they're in exile in Babylon. Let us listen as Jeremiah responds to the Israelites in a familiar way. Listen now for God's word as it comes to us from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 and 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests and the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah is a parent or guardian that says that we need to stick it out. At camp, the hope is that by the end of the week, your kid is returned to you, but maybe a little bit sweaty, a little smelly, sunburned, bug-bitten, tired, but very happy. The hope is that your kid will be happy to see you, probably, but definitely not happy to leave the place that they now love. Camp is something that a lot of us maybe can relate to, but having to do something that we don't want to do is pretty universally relatable. Whether we're an adult, a child, a teen, a toddler, or a retiree, we're put into situations or commitments that end up being not what we had signed up for. But as kids and sometimes as adults, when we're uncomfortable, upset, hurting, we don't have insight. We don't have rationale. And maybe if we do, we don't really care. Jeremiah offers this unwelcome and a devastating blow to the Israelites after they've been hearing from other people, other prophets, that their time in Babylon is almost over. That soon God will bring them out of Babylon just as their ancestors were brought out of Egypt. Instead, Jeremiah says, one, the prophets are wrong, except for me. And two, you should essentially get comfortable because there's no way that we can go back to Jerusalem and now it's time for you to move forward. I can only assume that they were hoping that Hananiah, another prophet with them during the exile, who prophesied a short two-year stay, or other false prophets among them might be actually right after all. That their, that their stay in Babylon would in fact be short. Therefore, Jeremiah's message would not be welcomed. Who wants to stay in exile, miles from home, for generations? Who wants to be commanded to bless the oppressors because one's welfare is connected to theirs? And who wants to be told to make the best of a bad situation? Jeremiah's words were to a community that had been uprooted from the familiarity of home. They traveled months to a place that was 900 miles away, and now they live in a land whose language, food, customs, and culture is not their own, nor that they desire to know it. The Israelites are dismayed to realize that Jeremiah's verses offer them wisdom regarding how to respond to the face of war, defeat, and now their own exile. They would be disheartened to know that the letter is about adjusting to painful circumstances rather than alleviating them. They would be more than appalled 
to that blessing for the exiles comes in the form of adjusting to rather than escaping from their present situation. The truth is, the Israelites are going to stay in Babylon for a long time. The text states that it's 70 years. So whether it's exactly 70 or just a really long time, it's longer than the two years they were told. Jeremiah says to them, the good news is God knows what God's doing, and God keeps promises, and God has promised us a future and a hope. UCC pastor Catherine Matthews says, with such a future and a hope in their hearts and minds, the people then are instructed by Jeremiah to live in a kind of extended in-between time. And in between time that they weren't just, you know, sitting around and waiting for something to happen. They weren't rising up or trying to escape or overthrow their captors. These words fit the situation of a people living under the thumb of an ancient empire. But their empire is mirrored today in different kinds of empires of our own creation, including fear materialism, militarism, consumerism, just to mention a few. To us, Jeremiah's instruction is a familiar-sounding one, though to followers of Jesus who've been instructed to pray for our own enemies. We recognize that Jesus' teachings were revolutionary, but here we can see just how deep the roots of our own tradition are, Matthew states, for Jesus is in a prophetic line that stretches back to Jeremiah, and he shares that expansive vision in which John Brackey writes, God's imagination is not bound by the dividing walls of hostility constructed by human conflicts. If Jeremiah tells the people of God to pray for the Babylonians, their pagan conquerors, then Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, then our Judeo-Christian tradition presses us to ask in God's global vision whose welfare God calls us to seek and with whom God is inviting us to live in peace. Jeremiah's words, to live in a land of their exile and to pray for their enemies, calls the people to a deeper kind of hope a deeper faith. Audrey West, a tenured professor of New Testament studies, says the people of God can bloom wherever they're planted. Jeremiah instructs the people in us to create a new normal as they learn to live into this reality, making it their home. Things might not be great now, but the news doesn't have to be good in order for us to live out the good news and to be blessed ourselves and to be a blessing to those around us. Embracing where God has called us to find new ways of being faithful in our living. Jeremiah's words weren't delivered to the Israelites after they left exile and decided to wrap up their experience with a bow and call it history. His words called for them to seek out God's expansive love and promises as they were present in exile. 
We aren't just to seek afterwards when we've made it through. It's while we're still in it. Jeremiah calls us to recognize God's promises are present even in exile. When we look back on the Israelites' time in Babylon, we see developments of their community. There are increases in the formations of synagogues. Some of the largest portions of the Hebrew Bible are written during this time. And they realized that they were able to worship outside of the temple in Jerusalem. Theologically for us, that means that God's presence is still with them in Babylon, outside of Jerusalem. In Rachel Held Evans's new book, Inspired, she discusses the importance of scripture and how to balance both a love and historical engagement with the text. In one portion, she talks about deliverance stories. She states that on the first night of Passover, some observant Jews participate in a Seder. In ancient times, only wealthy and free men enjoyed the luxury of reclining at the dinner table. Reclining at the Seder reminds Jews that when God delivered their people from slavery, God not only granted them freedom, God made them nobles. It's said that even in the concentration camps of Poland, during World War II, Passover was still observed. Even there, without food, wine, or candlelight, the Jews still reclined. Their observance is that God's promises are still present, and this was their form of resistance. Praying for Babylon, W. Hulett Glower writes, necessitated a different understanding of God, a more expansive, inclusive understanding of a God who cares for all the people of the earth and not just Israel. We, too, need to expand our understanding of God beyond one that we can own and ask for special blessings. Praying for Babylon also calls us to examine our religious claims and be open to the ways that God speaks through other faiths. Barbara Brown Taylor's recent book, Holy Envy, Finding God in the Faith of Others, states that this expansive vision would only make sense to a people who preach a gospel that is good news, not just for some of the people, but for all of God's children, and not just for those who believe as we do. N.T. Wright compared scripture to a five-act play, full of drama and surprise, wherein the people of God are invited into the story to improvise the unfinished final act. Wright says that our ability to faithfully execute our roles in this drama depends on our willingness to enter the narrative, to see how our own stories intersect in the grander epic of God's redemption of the world. Our stories of God's expansive love, this scripture serves as an invitation to wonder, to wrestle, and to surrender. So even as we are at camp, waiting for our parents to come pick us up, Jeremiah invites us into a deeper faith, one that reminds us that God's promises are always with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.